0: Um, a couple months ago now, just a few weeks ago, uh, there was this event that I'm sure all of us remember and all of us are probably a part of. And I'm just talk- talking about the eclipse that went from Oregon all the way to South Carolina and just happened to pass right here through our city. How many of you got to be a part and watch and see the eclipse and experience totality? Everybody, yeah, Almost everybody in here uh, got to see it, right? If you lived in Nashville. In fact, a lot of people traveled to Nashville just so they could watch this eclipse and There were several things about that whole experience that were pretty amazing and fascinating for me to watch. Uh, One of the things that struck me most immediately was how people prepared for this moment. I mean, I don't know if you saw, but people were, you know, weeks in advance were going to buy these special glasses so they could stare at the sun without, you know, scorching their retinas out, you know, and people were buying those like crazy. People were making plans. People were taking off of work. Schools were canceled. I don't know if you saw, but the highway even had signs over it, like telling you to prepare for alternate routes because they were anticipating huge traffic and people had parties and had their friends over. I remember uh, Amy and my kids and I, we went to some friend's house in East Nashville And on my way over to their house, it was like almost every yard that I went by had at least two or three people in the front yard with their blankets and some of them had parties and they were just ready to watch this thing go down. And then I remember we're at their house and we're watching it, we're watching the moon move more and more and more in front of the sun and then totality hit. And it was crazy because like I could hear like houses away, blocks away, I could hear people immediately were like, yeah, like people just started like cheering and celebrating. Like, yeah, it's dark. This is awesome. You know, it was just like this eruption of celebration over this thing that they knew maybe they would never see again in their whole life. And it was so cool. Some of the things that people just started to do, like. One of my kids ran inside the house and was watching TV and I'm like, no, I like ran in and got, I'm like, you've got to get out here and see this right now. You know, we're pointing out the birds are singing differently and the crickets are chirping and the street lights are coming on. It was just like all these wild things that we normally don't get to experience and we erupted with celebration. But you know, totality lasted like a couple minutes here in Nashville. And I don't know if you experienced this, but the, the, the group I was with, it started with this kind of eruption of like celebration. And after about 45 seconds of being excited, it was more of like this, wow, like this awe kind of settled in on our hearts. And it was cool. I, I don't know if you listened to NPR at all that day, but all through the day they did this story where they tracked the eclipse all the way from Oregon to South Carolina, interviewing people all along the way. And every single interview, that people would just say, you know, there was just something, something bigger than me. I just realized how small I am. There was this sense of awe and wonder at what they got to watch that day. And as, as I listened to that, and as I, as I witnessed it myself and thought about that day, you know, millions of people gathered in our country from the Northwest to the Southeast. And I think it was probably the largest gathering that our nation has ever experienced that resulted in praise and worship. You know, we don't usually think of that kind of thing as praise and worship, right? I think praise and worship so often for us feels like a genre of music or something that Christians do when they gather together on Sundays. And yet what happened that day was some of the most spontaneous expressions of praise and worship. You know, we're in this series right now, we're talking about what it means for us to be the family of God. Like, how do we live as family? And the thing we're gonna talk about this morning is that one of the things that we do that, that is unique to us as a family of God is that we come together for the purpose of praise and worship. And I want us to talk this morning some about what that means, what does that look like, and what happens when we do that, when we gather for that purpose as a family. Now, before we jump into Psalm 95, I wanna distinguish... Uh, between what I mean by praise and worship on a Sunday and this other, uh, the big picture of worship. And here's what I mean, and I want everyone to know this. The New Testament is very clear that worship is not just something that happens when Christians eat together on Sunday. Now the New Testament describes worship for followers of Jesus very different. Worship for the New Testament is this lifestyle of continual submission and service to Jesus. It's what the Apostle Paul would write about in Romans chapter 12, where he says, hey, in view of God's mercy, I want you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So this is the totality of worship. It's this lifestyle, this thing that if you're a follower of Jesus, it's this thing that you do every single day, day in and day out, by offering your life to Jesus in service to others. Uh, But this morning, I want us to talk specifically about the praise and worship that happens when we gather, because there is something special that happens when the people of God come together in the name of Jesus. There is this presence of God that we begin to experience and encounter that is different than what we experience of the presence of God outside of this time. Now, this feels kind of weird to talk about because uh, I think all of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, you probably believe that Well, God is with us always, right? I mean, this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28. He says, hey, he talks to his disciples. He says, I will be with you always, even till the end of the age. This is this idea of God's omnipresence, that big theological word that just points to the idea that God is present everywhere all the time. The psalmist in Psalm 139 says, man, if I go up to the heavens, God, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you were there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn and settle on the far side of the sea, even there, I cannot hide from your presence. And so this is a true reality about who God is, that he is everywhere. And yet there's this other reality. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus looks at his followers and he says, hey, wherever two or three or more are gathered in my name, then I am there with them. And we go, now, wait a minute, Jesus, you you say you're with us always and now you're saying when two or three of us are gathered, is it one or the other? And I think it's both. You see, there's this there's this different kind of presence that we experience as the family of God when we gather in the name of Jesus. And that's what I'm talking about this morning, this praise and worship that happens when we gather, gather and we begin to experience the presence of God in a different kind of way than what we experience in our day in and day out life. So let's look in Psalm 95. Psalm 95 is a picture of this gathering, of this praise and worship of the people of God Uh, This is a description of the Israelites coming together for the purpose of praise and worship. Starting in verse one, the psalmist writes, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let's shout, shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let's come before him. Let's come into his presence with thanksgiving and extol him with music and with song. For the Lord, he is the great God. He's the king. Above all gods, in his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks, they belong to his. him. The sea is his, for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. This is the word of the Lord out of Psalm 95, and so I think this passage captures kind of this flow of praise and worship in the people of God. So we gather together as God's family and remember something significant happens, the the presence of God, and it all starts with praise. You see this in Psalm 95, there's this invitation, hey, come, let's come before the Lord. He says, let's, let's extol him. That means praise him. Let's, let's pour out heap praise upon him with music and with song. And then verses three to five are a picture of what that praise looks like. It's just basic praise. I think we all understand praise in its nature because we all long for it for ourselves sometimes, right? But we also are familiar with giving praise. It doesn't just happen when we come together on Sunday. There are lots of places where it's appropriate and good that we praise other things, Right? I think I have kids, you know, and every time my kids do something that that lines up with how I'm trying to raise them, well, man, I I love to praise them. I love to point out the good things that they're doing because it brings it out even more in them. If you're a teacher, you you probably love to praise your students when they do a good job. If you're a coach, you love to praise your players when they do a good job. We we love to praise our favorite athletes and we love to praise our favorite bands when they perform. You see, praise is simply this external communication of recognition. It is, it is to, to, to celebrate, to boast on someone. It is to point out the glory of someone, either to another person or to that someone. That's all praise is, it's very normal. We do it very regularly and yet, what we're called to do when we gather here as God's family is to praise Him, to call out His goodness, to call out the characteristics of who He is, to call out the bigness of who he is, how he is more than we are, bigger than who we are. So this is what the church has been doing for centuries. Uh, I think about in Acts chapter two, the very beginning, the, the birth of the church. At the end of that chapter, you have this picture of all these people that have just become followers of Jesus. And it says they were meeting together almost daily, breaking bread with one another and giving thanks with sincere hearts and praising God. And it said, "The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved." You see, something was happening amongst them as they began to praise God and recognize Him for who He is with one another. Something significant was happening amongst them. I think we get insight into what it is that happens in the middle of praise when we look in Psalm chapter 22, verse three. Psalm 22.3 is this amazing picture of what happens when we praise God. The psalmist says it this way. He says, Lord, he says, you are enthroned in the praises of your people. Some translations say it this way. They say the Lord dwells in the praises of his people. You see what's happening there? That when we come together as the family of God and we begin to pour out praise, unto God, we begin to recognize him for who he is, that somehow mysteriously, spiritually, he dwells in the midst of that praise. Just like when I praise my son, when he does a good thing, I'm inviting that more out of him. It's like when we praise the Lord, we are saying, Lord, we recognize you for who you are and we long for you to show us more of who you are. Praising God shows him that we understand where he belongs, that he belongs on the throne. And we're inviting him to dwell there, right here in our midst. It's this amazing thing that happens when we come together to praise. It's not just an empty ritual. And so we come together and we praise and we heap glory upon God. And when we begin to praise, this is when worship begins to enter into the picture. See, we can praise a lot of things, but worship is reserved for the one true God. And worship is what happens, it's that moment When you're in the middle of praise or when you suddenly become aware of the presence of God and you're left speechless, and you're left with a sense of awe, well, where praise is this external expression, worship is an encounter with God that results in a heart-level response of humility, awe, reverence, and self-sacrifice. You know, I think back to the eclipse, I think worship was that moment whether people knew what they were worshiping or not. I think some people are misled. We know this is what the Bible tells us, right? That some people are misled into worshiping creation. Some people in that moment of realizing how small they were, it was this worshipful moment. But for us as followers of Jesus, it's that moment where we begin to encounter the bigness, the goodness, the grace, the love of God. And we're just left going, oh God, wow. Wow. You're so much bigger than me. So much better than me. The word worship itself in the Hebrew and the Greek, it contains uh, the root for the word to bow down or to bend forward. This is why the tone changes in Psalm 95 when you get to verse six. In verses one through five, it's like this celebration, like pointing out who God is. It's like really joyful. And then you get to verse six and it's come, let us bow down. Let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God and we are his people. Worship is this place where we begin to realize the bigness of God. And in the Bible, worship is almost always marked by sacrifice. This idea that there are things in my life that I'm willing to let go of because I realize that God is the only thing I truly wanna hold on to. Worship is that place where you suddenly aren't too concerned anymore about what everybody else around you is thinking about you. You're willing to sacrifice your reputation or your image. Worship is that place when the Lord calls us and convicts us to let go of financial resources or let go of convenience or comfort so that we can take hold of him and his kingdom because our hearts are moved by the bigness and the greatness of who he is. That's worship marked by humility and self-sacrifice. And when the family of God comes together, like what we see in Psalm 95, when we come together to praise, and when we encounter him and we respond with worship, some things begin to happen. God begins to move in our midst, and it is mysterious. Sometimes it's seeable, sometimes it's not. But the Lord begins to move, and I wanna just draw our attention to a few of the things that God begins to do in our presence when we begin to worship and praise Him for who He is. You know, the first thing that I think often happens in, a, in an encounter like this, a worshipful moment, the first thing is conviction, conviction. So we see this all through the Bible, that sometime, anytime somebody comes into the presence of God Almighty, immediately, you know what they do? They hit their face. It's like they know, oh my goodness, Lord, I, 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 I'm not worthy. Like you are so, it's like there's this, it's almost the Bible calls it fear because God is so big, so glorious that people are convicted of their own unworthiness to be in his presence. And so oftentimes that's what happens with us. And when we come before God is there's this level of conviction. You know, I, I love the story of the prophet Isaiah. If you ever read his story and. In Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah has this moment where he comes into an experience of praise and worship and an encounter with the living God. So in Isaiah six, he gets a glimpse into heaven and he sees the Lord seated on the throne and he sees and hears angels like praising God. They're going, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. And Isaiah is just, he's wrecked with fear. He's like, oh, he goes, woe is me, Lord. Like, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. And he like bows down because Isaiah was convicted of his own sinfulness. He was convicted of his own brokenness in the presence of such a powerful God. But what I love in that story is that God doesn't leave Isaiah on his face. God doesn't say, yeah, you're right, Isaiah. You better get yourself together right now. No, God sends this angel with it's this weird mysterious thing. It's a vision, right? It's not literal, but he sends this angel with a like hot coal and he touches it on Isaiah's lips and he says, "Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I have forgiven you of your sins. I have made you pure, I have made you holy. You can stand in my presence." You see, and this is one of the beautiful things that we as the family of God get to experience. When we come together to praise him and to worship him, we we don't have to be afraid of conviction. You see, when the Lord begins to convict you of sin or things in your life that don't line up with him in the middle of praise and worship, it's not because he wants to shame you or because he wants to make you feel guilty. No, he comes not with a hot coal, but he comes with a reminder of a cross and an empty tomb. And he says, hey, you're convicted because I have more for you and I have life for you and there's forgiveness for you and there's mercy for you and there's grace for you. He says, if you will follow that conviction and bring it before me and just confess that to one another and to me, then I will heal you. There's forgiveness. All this happens as we praise and worship. Did you know that that's happening in the midst of our gatherings every Sunday? It's amazing when I look at what happens in our church sometimes. I, I, I love our church. I haven't been a part of very many ch- churches in my, t- in my life where where during a time of praise and worship, people will readily and voluntarily walk up to a pastor and start confessing sin in their life. Uh, I mean, this happens every single Sunday. A lot happens at that respond banner. It's not all just confession of sin. And we pray for people's families, we pray for marriages, we, we pray for people who feel called out to mission, all those things, but one of the things that happens regularly over there with our respond team is that people come and they, to a total stranger and they just say, hey, I am in the grips of an addiction. Or they come and they say, hey, I have just been, I've been wrought with lust all week and it's kicking my butt. Like all these things, we have people that come and just confess their sin and that is the work of the presence of God in our midst as we praise and worship, isn't that cool? Some other things that happen, you know, I think uh, it's not just conviction, there's also freedom. Like freedom comes when the presence of God comes into our midst. This is why Jesus, when he starts his ministry, Uh, In Luke chapter four, he stands up in the synagogue and he says, hey, the spirit of the living Lord is upon me. In other words, the presence of God is here and he has anointed me to proclaim freedom for the captives and delivery for those who are oppressed. Because Jesus knew what Paul claimed in 2 Corinthians three, when he said, hey, the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom, yes. And when we praise and worship, we put God in his rightful place. And when God is in his rightful place, he convicts us, but yes, he also frees us from the very things that we've been convicted of. Isn't that amazing? I see this happen over and over again in our church family. It is so cool. I've seen people who have been, who have been freed from addictions, people who've been freed from sins that have been in their life forever, people who've been freed from behaviors that they wanna be done from, people that have been freed from spiritual oppression. I think about one night, this happened at prayer gathering. We were worshiping and praising and the presence of God was in the room. And, and if that sounds like weird language, let me just, I, the presence of God, like it is that thing that we sense, that we feel when we're here together. That's God's presence. And in the middle of prayer and, and worship uh, at prayer gathering one night, I got together with a group of people and this young woman in the group just started sharing how she had been plagued with anxiety since she was five years old. It was just part of her life. And panic attacks were just the norm for her. And so uh, she asked if we could pray for her. And in the middle of praising and worshiping and praying for this young woman, uh, several people came around her and started praying for her. And I got to see her the following Sunday. She walks up to me with this huge smile on her face. And she says, I didn't have any anxiety all week. And I was like, praise God. Because this is what happens when we come into God's presence is that he brings freedom. He frees us from the things that weigh on us, on our shoulders. He brings conviction but he also brings freedom and he also brings calling that sometimes in the midst of praise and worship, God will call us into something that he will call you into ministry. He will call you into mission. He will call you as you're ready to sacrifice because you've encountered him. He'll say, Hey, okay, because you're ready, I want to send you. This is what happened to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter six. Isaiah was convicted, and the Lord freed him from his sin. And then he said, who is going to go and tell the good news about who I am? And Isaiah said, here, send me, I'll go. (laughs) Like, I'll go. He volunteered. And sometimes in the midst of praise and worship here on a Sunday, the Lord begins to call us into stuff. And sometimes he's calling you to something just right here in this moment. Like, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but sometimes in the middle of praise and worship, you'll notice somebody else in the room who is, either sitting alone, or you'll notice somebody who is visibly shaken by what they're experiencing and by tears and crying. And sometimes the Lord is saying, hey, hey, are you going to go? Like, I'm, I'm sending you to comfort your brother or your sister. Will you go pray for them? Will you go talk with them? Will you go be present with them? Sometimes he's calling us beyond these four walls. I just had a conversation last week with a young woman and she came up to me and she said, Hey, several weeks ago, God called me just to go downtown and start playing worship music. And I was like, really? She said, yeah. And I was like, did you do it? She said, yeah, I did it. It was kind of scary, but it was amazing. She went and she, all these unbelievers started coming to her and she starts leading them in worship on the pedestrian bridge in downtown Nashville. And several of them were at church with her last week and I'm like, wow, that is so cool. She responded to calling and she went and the Lord began to use her because in the midst of praise and worship, the almighty God in his presence began to call her into something more in her life. You see, we gather here, this is not a singing club. I mean, how weird would that be? We don't gather here for a club. We gather because when we praise, the presence of God comes into the room. And as we respond and worship, he begins to convict us and free us and call us. Now, we do this in a variety of ways. We praise and worship in a variety of ways. And it's not just singing. although well, that's important. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But we you know communion is praise and worship. Communion is remembering what Jesus has done for us and thanking him and praising him. Opening the word and reading the word of God is praising God and worshiping him, praying for one another. All of these things are part of us praising and worshiping. And yet there is also something deeply significant about our use of music in our time together. You know, if you grew up in church, coming into a room with like 600, 700 people and singing feels kind of normal to you because it's just what you've always done. But man, if you're new to Christianity, I mean, it is one of the weirdest things that we do. I mean, how many other situations are you, are, are you in outside of these walls where you get together with a group of friends and you just sit around and sing together? like? It's just strange. I actually had this encounter one time when I lived in Canada. I had a guy, and if you do this, I'm sorry, I'm about to make fun of you, but uh, this guy came up to me and he invited me to this singing night. Now, this guy was not a believer. He was not inviting me to a church gathering. And so I said, well, what do you mean? he goes, yeah, me and my family and some other people, we get together on Tuesday nights and we just sing songs together. <laughs> I was like, like, what kind of song? You know, campfire songs, cowboy songs. <laughs> I was just like, that's the weirdest thing I've heard in a while. Like. I never went. I didn't go with him. Maybe I should have. I should have gone and been a missionary, but I didn't go, you know? That's just kind of a weird thing. Like people don't do that in our culture. And yet we do that every Sunday. And I remember talking with a man who became a follower of Jesus at our church. And I remember before he gave his life to Jesus, a friend was talking to him and said, hey, how, how's that church thing going? What is that like? He said, it's actually been really good, you know? He's like, but man, you Christians, sure do you like to sing a lot? Like what is the deal? Why do you sing so many songs? Well, I I wanna tell you a few things about music so we understand some of what's happening, why God has given us this gift of music. There's a sociologist by the name of uh, Bradford Keeney, um, and he's really well known in the marriage and family therapy world because he's done a ton of study on how people experience change in their lives. And Brad Keeney, he went and studied all these religions around the world, went to like every continent and all these countries, and he, he explored not just Christianity, but he looked at indigenous faiths, and he talked to shamans and to witch doctors, and he, he talked to Catholic priests, and he talked to uh, charismatic Christians and evangelical Christians. He talked to all these different faith styles to understand what they experience in their practice of their spirituality. And it was fascinating that one of the things that he discovered, I remember hearing him talk on this, he said, said, you know, in all the different types of faiths that I looked at, there was only one thing that all of them had in common, one common thread to all of them. And it was their use of music in their spiritual practices. I'm going, wow, that's really fascinating. It's like we as humans understand that there is something deeply spiritual about music. There's something otherworldly about it, right? You can't see it. We can see it in notes on a page, but man, when you strum a chord on that guitar, you can't see what it is that you begin to experience. Music has this way of moving us and our emotions that we feel and we respond. If you hear a beat, you naturally want to start moving, whether you have rhythm or not, which is sometimes embarrassing, you know, but you just, you just want to move when you hear music. It's really cool to see how neuroscientists have studied what happens in the brain when music uh, begins to interact with it. It's fascinating because the brain responds on both sides. So the emotive side of the brain responds to music. In other words, all the things that you feel, but the cognitive side also responds. And so as you start to feel things, your brain is going, hey, why am I feeling this? And you begin thinking intellectually, subconsciously about what it is that you're experiencing. And scientists have discovered that the brain is firing like crazy all over the place when music starts entering our ears. And so they know the brain responds, but they don't fully understand why it responds in all the way that it does. I just think it's so incredible that we serve a God who created us with this ability to to be moved emotionally, spiritually, intellectually through this medium called music. It's God's gift to us. And so music moves us. But music goes far beyond just moving us. You know that music has, there's just something healing about it. There's all kinds of therapies involved with using music, but uh, you know, I think uh, music has this way of helping us reconcile the dissonance we feel with God sometimes. I'll tell you what I mean. Sometimes we come into this place and we know we're here to praise God, and yet the circumstances of our life leave us feeling and questioning whether or not we really can praise Him. Have you ever been there before? where life feels heavy and feels draining, and you know I'm gathering with the church, I should be speaking about how good God is, but man, that feels so far from my experience right now. I was talking with my wife this week and she reminded me about a specific moment in our lives when this happened. You know, about two years ago, a little over two years ago, we, um, we experienced the loss of three miscarriages in a row over the course of a year and a half. This was before our, our daughter was born and we really wanted to have a third child, and just this feeling, this loss, and Amy was telling me this week, she remembers, I remember Sundays being with our family at Ethos and specifically the song, King of My Heart, where we sing this line of, you are good, you are good. Oh Lord, you are good. And she said, it was so hard for me to sing it. I I knew it was true, I I wanted it to be true, but man, my feelings didn't feel it. And yet there was something about sitting with the family of God and hearing her brothers and sisters almost singing those words for her, that was deeply healing for her soul. She says she remembers the first time she was able to start singing them again, and it helped, mend some of the brokenness and hurt that was there from the loss of three miscarriages. And so music has this power. When we do it together, the presence of God comes in and it is healing. But music also very practically is a helpful teacher. Have you ever noticed that like when you learn lyrics to a song, man, they're just stuck in your head. Have you ever heard a song for the first time in like eight years and somehow you're like singing along and you just know the words, you're like, how in the world, like I can't remember anything, but I remember the words of this random song that I heard when I was in sixth grade, like it's so strange. Music has this power to help imprint things onto our brains. This is why the Israelites used music so much to pass on the story of what God had been doing in their community. This is why the story of the Exodus, if you read through Psalms over and over again, you'll see the story of God bringing the Israelites out of Egypt and they put all that to music so they could pass it on from one generation to the next. So we come together as a family and when we gather, we praise and we experience the presence and we worship and we experience freedom and conviction and calling and there's healing. All of these things are happening every single Sunday when we gather in this place. It's a beautiful thing so much more than just a random gathering of people singing songs. So here's what I want us to do with this. Um, One, I want us just to continue doing what we're doing. I I don't know if you've felt this or noticed this, but over the past several weeks or months, I've just had this real sense that God is moving us in some unique ways. And I've seen so many of you stepping into that like open-handedly going, okay, God, what, what do you have, you know? I want us to keep doing that. But one of the things that I want us to try to do is just to be prepared when we come here. You know, think about the eclipse and how much preparation people put in to being ready to capture that moment. I just want to encourage us. What are you doing to prepare your heart to come in here and experience the presence of God? Sometimes it is making a choice to believe even though it feels hard. You're preparing yourself to be able to praise. Sometimes it's just showing up. Sometimes it's showing up ready to give because you know you're in a good place and there's going to be other people that need to be encouraged. I just want to encourage us, let's be prepared when we show up here on Sunday that we're prepared to have an encounter with the living God. Second, I really want to encourage us to be open to to new or different manifestations of God's presence amongst us. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I got up here and I preached about uh, the gifts of the Spirit, and we talked about some things that probably made some of us uncomfortable or, or, or a little nervous or whatever. And I just, I just want to encourage us: like God is always going to give us exactly what we need. The question is, are we ready to experience whatever He has for us? You know, I think that God longs to start pouring out manifestations of his presence through different gifts, whether that be, uh, whether that be words of knowledge or gifts of, of prophetic words for one another, or that's praying in tongues for somebody, or if it's you know, a gift of healing, or if it's whatever kind of gift the Lord wants to give us in this presence, I wanna just encourage us that, man, God, everything he longs to give us is so good, it's good. And so we'll be open to whatever kind of manifestations he wants to give us, so prepare be open to the manifestation of his presence amongst us? And then the third thing, uh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll head out to communion after this. The third thing is just, will we be sensitive to the leading of the spirit? Man, I just wanna encourage you. Like there are gonna be moments in the middle of praise and worship where the Lord begins to lead you to do something that might make you feel uncomfortable. And you know, some of you, you'll be in the middle of praise and you're singing, but you're standing and your your brain is going, hey, I want you to celebrate this. And you're like, okay, I don't know what that means. And the Lord will go, hey, you can start, just raise your hands to me. And for some of you, that first step will just be doing this. Okay, Lord, I'm right here. I'm praising you. Like, if that's where you are, that's great. That's a step. Sometimes he will say, hey, you're celebrating me. What are you doing? You celebrate, oh, I clap. And so he's gonna be saying, okay, clap. And you're going, but nobody else is clapping. He's like, it's okay, I want you to clap. And when he does that, I want you just to feel free to clap. Let's celebrate who God is. Some of you will feel like you need to jump and that's okay, I want you to jump. Some of you will be moved to dance and that's okay. You could dance. You know that David in the Old Testament, man after God's own heart, that he danced with all his might before the presence of God. And some people said, oh, David, you look so indignified. He said, hey, I'd become even more undignified than this if it was to draw attention to the glory of my God. And so some of you may be moved and led to dance in the middle of our time together. And you're going, man, that'll be embarrassing. Well, Remember this whole, remember, sacrifice, right? Sacrifice, you're willing to let go of your own image and your own reputation. So let's be led to do that. These are all external expressions of praise, right? But sometimes some of you are gonna be led inwardly. And this is good too. Sometimes in the middle of praise and worship, the spirit will come to you and he'll say, hey, I I want you to get quiet and listen to me. Sometimes he will have you reflect on things that you've heard in the sermon or a lyric that you've said just four times and it lands in your heart in a new kind of way and the spirit is saying, hey, I want you just to sit down and let the weight of that rest on your soul in silence while everybody else keeps praising and worshiping. Will we do that? Will we respond? Will we be sensitive to how the spirit's leading us to one another? And he may also lead you to each other. So during the time of communion, he may lead you to pray for someone. He may lead you to go worship beside someone. I want us to come prepared to be open to whatever manifestation of the presence of God he wants to give us and to be sensitive and responsive to his leading amongst us. And as we do this, man, I promise you, We will continue to grow as the family of God, experiencing our Father God in new and beautiful ways, all for His glory, so that His glory can fill the earth. I love you all very much. Uh, Now what we're gonna do is what we do every Sunday. I'm gonna pray, we're gonna go to communion, and that is praise and worship as we remember Jesus. Will's gonna come up and lead us in some songs, and we're gonna praise and worship with our voices and with our bodies, and we're gonna celebrate. Let's be a family that is marked by praise and worship and by the presence of the living God. Father God, I come to you right now and I know that you are here. And I I thank you, Lord, for the many ways that you have shown me that. I thank you for the the longtime Christians who come and grab me and say, wow, there's just something going on here. Lord, I praise you for the people who are far from you that I've had conversations with that come and say, Man, I, I, need what, I need what you people have. There's something here. God, I give you all glory. It is you in our midst, and we praise you for that. Lord, we just invite you to continue to be here with us as we move to communion, this reminder of the body and the blood of Jesus through which you give us freedom. Would you help us to praise you in that? And Lord, would you be here in our midst as we sing, as we worship, as we celebrate who you are, God? We love you, Father. Thank you for the gift of your presence. It's in the name of Jesus I pray, amen.